Welcome to another episode of the Golders Podcast. If you haven't already, click subscribe and look out for new episodes releasing every other Friday. We hope everybody enjoyed our last episode with David Whelan. Before we introduce today's guest, we want to mention our partnership with clothing company Capo. The meaning behind the brand runs much deeper. The northwest of England clothing brand strive to provide premium aesthetic fitting and quality clothing at affordable prices. Check out their products at www.capouk.com and on Instagram at capouk. Now, for today's guest, here is a snippet of what to expect. If you can be consistent in your own actions and behaviours, you will get opportunities and it's not over two days, it's not over three weeks. It is day in, day out, year in, year out. And then that way, you know, your talent will grow, you will flourish, um, and people know what to expect. And that is the, the real difference. When you look at the top players, and, and we've got some top players at Inter Miami, you know, and, and, and internationals, they do it every single day. We're excited to welcome Darren Powell onto today's episode of the Golders Podcast. Darren is currently the assistant first team coach and director of player development at Inter Miami in the MLS. After Darren's college playing career was finished, he transitioned into coaching, working in the college game in America. He quickly established himself in the States and after building a very successful program at Elon University in North Carolina, he became the academy director at Orlando City during their transition to the MLS before moving to San Antonio, leading their academy and becoming the head coach of their first team. In 2020, he was headhunted by Inter Miami to become director of play development and prior to the 2023 season, was asked to become assistant first team coach by head coach, Phil Neville. Darren, thank you and welcome to the Golders podcast today. Yeah, thanks for you both having me and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Should be fun. I'm sure it will be. So, first question as always, Goldust to us is sprinkling particles of knowledge to help people. What does Goldust mean to you? I thought, you know, obviously knowing that I was coming on the show and, and listening to some of the, the you know, previous guests and, and what it actually means to me. For me, it was, a you know, you could look at it from a personal perspective where family is important and uh, so, on, so on and so forth, or from a professional aspect but what I want to do is try and put it together. So what does gold dust mean to me and uh, 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 how do I feel about it? And I see gold dust as um, sort of your your personal memories, your personal experiences, um, and then being able to share those because they're real. You know, it's not something that, you know, it's not theory. They're real memories, real experiences. Um, and I think... When you when you're able to share that, whether it's whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, I think it can be a help to people. What a great answer! I love that. That lived experiences. Uh, the, the, I mean, there's nothing more valuable than that because of, of those wonderful memories that each and every one of us have. So, Darren, look, share with us what your formative years were like in football and how did those experiences shape up an opportunity for you to eventually go over to the US where you attended university? Yeah, no, I, uh, you know, I, I guess my whole life I've 
been around football or, or soccer, as we call it here in the US. And it, and it's from memories, I just remember going to watch my dad play um, and being on the sideline and whatever the weather, rain or shine, sit there. But it wasn't necessarily watching the, the game at that point of my life. It was just trying to get a ball and play along the side. So always been involved with football and loved it, fell in love with it at an early age. Um, and then I had the good fortune of playing with it, you know, with the school and your representative teams and and, and uh, with your friends and then got uh, scouted by Nottingham Forest as a schoolboy player at the age of 14. Um, and then was there and, you know, at 16, that dream was over. Forest being one of the top teams in, in the Premier League at that point or the old first division um, and was released at 16. So that had a, a, a significant impact on me and, and the journey of something you've been, you know, you dreamed of and, and wanted so badly to to represent your, you know, your hometown team. Um, and then that was taken away from you. And, and fortunately, I had a bunch of opportunities after that because Forest were, were a good programme at the time in, in terms of youth development, still are. Um, and then went to Notts County, uh, then played for several good coaches at Notts County within the with the youth programme and the first team. But one of those coaches, Pat Barrett, um, who's a school teacher or a headmaster now in, back in England, but he emigrated uh, to the States, uh, to a place called UNC Greensboro. And, um, you know, I think I was one of his personal first signings to come over and play for the University of North Carolina Greensboro, uh, which is a Division One school in, in America. So that's how it came about. And um, so schoolboy football, YTS player or apprentice at uh, Notts County, and then uh, ended up at uh, UNC Greensboro and it afforded me that opportunity. Well, from there, Darren, you've obviously stayed out in the States and we'll touch on shortly uh, your current role and, and how you got to that point. But can you give us a whistle-stop tour from obviously playing in university when you finished your coaching career and really how it took off? Yeah, I think when I came to the States, it was prior to the 1994 World Cup and, uh, you know, the opportunities were to get into coaching and uh, from day one, really. It was something I um, enjoyed and got to do actually some recreation soccer as volunteer work while I was while I was still playing in college. And I got into that and really enjoyed it. And we had a, a great little group of players and it felt really rewarding to, to just start coaching. So that's where I really started to study it and um, make it part of you know, what I wanted to do and, and my long-term goal after playing. So I ended up doing, you know, different teams while I was in, in college. And then after college, um, I worked in educational programs for children initially alongside coaching in the evenings, part-time. Um, part-time at that that level was called Classic. So it was kind of the, the state level, um, you know, where you're playing state cup and, and so on and so forth. And we had a nice little team uh, going through. And then uh, that led me to make different connections and, and and through that network I was a Greensboro College head coach um, and I was aged I think about 24 so I've been in a long time coached a lot of players so um, but you know Greensboro College was a great starting point you know you did you're painting the lines you were doing the laundry you were recruiting the team you were coaching the team on a game day uh, so, so there's a lot of lessons that you learned from within that program um, which was a Division Three college team initially. We had some really good memories, and we actually made the national final um, my first year there, which was was a tremendous experience for a first year head coach. And then ended up being an assistant at Division One level. We're back at U University of North Carolina Greensboro. Head coach Michael Parker um, 
must have liked me as a player and then thought I could uh, help out as on the coaching staff as well. So I went there as an assistant. Um, again, many fun times, lots of good players and, and good connections made along the way. Then took over at Elon University. Elon University at the time um, had just been recently promoted into Division One as an athletic program. And, you know, they were, they were finding the way. They hadn't had much success and, and were able to turn that program around and end up my last couple of years. We were in the top 20 uh, on the field and also uh, actually in the top 10 academically. So that was something we took a lot of pride in. And then the opportunity in 2014 came about to go and help Orlando City. Orlando City were transitioning from the USL into the MLS. And my opportunity was based around transitioning the academy program. So there was a pay-to-play version of an academy in and around Orlando, but they wanted to move that into you know, a fully funded academy um, within Orlando's system and create that player pathway and integration from the uh, you know, the basically the U9s actually all the way through to the um to the first team. So I ended up helping that and set that academy up. Uh during that time, about two years into that tenure, uh San Antonio Spurs, the NBA basketball team, were starting a soccer team. So met with um some very important people at the San Antonio Spurs and and they want to, you know, start this project where there would be a USL team with the chance and the, the hope to maybe one day move to the MLS. Um, unfortunately, that didn't, didn't transpire about in year four. That 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 dream was, was unable to happen, um, but for several different reasons. But they were able to settle that program. So from day one uh, at San Antonio, who just recently won the USL championship, but day one, we had no players, no staff, and it was to grow that program not only from a first team level as the head coach of the first team, but also to set the infrastructure below as an academy as well. So starting an academy uh, kind of very similar to what we did in Orlando and, and, and making that a fully funded academy for, for the young players. At the end of that tenure, I got the opportunity into Miami, where I currently am. Uh, the first opportunity was director of player development, which was to oversee their academy, which was six months in. And, you know, basically help establish different processes and and help grow the academy um, from the ground up. And that was a U12 program all the way through to U19s at that time. And then during the tenure there, I was helping out with the second team and then became the head coach of the second team. Uh, Jason Christ, who was working with the national team in, in year one, was the head coach. And so when he was away on duty with the national team, I was, um, you know, the interim head coach for for those moments and and so got to spend probably three to four months, you know, with the players day to day as a head coach. Then the following year, Jason moved to the first team and then I had the opportunity to to take over the, the second team. Did that for two seasons uh, alongside being the director of player development. And then this past off season, um, coach Phil Neville asked me to be a part of the, the first team staff alongside uh, Sebastian Saha. Um, Javi Morales and Jason Christ still. So it's been a whirlwind. And uh, sorry, that's probably the longest answer. I should have diluted that a little bit, but I wanted to make sure you you, you got the full, full, full gamut of it. Lots of experiences there, isn't there? Yeah, no, I mean, and wonderful memories as well. So, it, it, you know, it's the journey and the people you come into contact with, you know, the staff, you know, the guys that are, are, have had, be assistants with me or academy directors you know they're, they're all special people and 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 to this day from 
from the Greensboro College days to now, we stay in contact and, uh, you know, you take an awful lot of pride of that and seeing those guys do very successful as well in, in, in their direction as college coaches or professional coaches as some of them have grown to be. Putting the lines, you're cutting the grass, you're sorting the kit. And then, you know, it's, it's the school of hard knocks, which is absolutely, uh, it's vital. But just going on from what you've mentioned, you, you're now director of player development and, you know, part of the first team uh, setup. If you had to explain what you do, how would you describe your current role? Yeah, I mean, basically more first team at the moment. You know, we're, we're just in the season of the MLS. We're, we're going into game five tomorrow night um, against Chicago. So it, it, it's, you know, Phil Naval has a great process with the group. You know, we know what we're, we're doing and what we're all responsible for. So part of my responsibilities are helping players return to play do individual development programs, especially for those younger ones, to make sure they're on track to keep progressing their careers. Um, you know, out of possession, I work with with the defenders a lot on on a weekly basis, and uh, and for example, showing them video this morning in preparation for Chicago, and then we alternate weeks. Um, who takes the scouting report? And so, as a staff, we have a, a good process, a good workflow, and so really engrossed into the the day to day. The, the IDP programs, individual development programs, um, kind of correlate with the player development role. And then we will have, you know, bi-monthly meetings as a director of player development, you know, including the academy director, the U17 coach, U19 coaches, the scouting department, the recruitment department, just to keep a tabs on how those young players are doing and and where they're going to play over the next couple of, couple of weeks you know, including in that is the um, MLS two head coach, which was obviously the role I had previously, and and we all talk. You know, we've got some really good U seventeen events coming up um, with the Generation Adidas Cup, and some of those those players are, have accelerated their own growth and potentially playing for MLS two. So we we look at we have those discussions as a group and and come to a consensus of, of how and where the best places are for those players to play. Looking more of a long term approach in those meetings as opposed to the first team meetings where we're looking to beat Chicago tomorrow night. Look, Darren, I'm going to go back throughout your experiences. So obviously college, you mentioned about your first head coach role. You took over a program that was transitioning division. So division two through to division one, which is the highest, for those that don't know, is the highest level of college soccer in America. So it's a big step. And there's a processes that you'll have been through and that you'll have had to have done to help that transition. And from there, you then developed and helped develop the program in Orlando. And really, you helped build it. You then did the same in San Antonio and then went to into Miami and it was very much the same. So in terms of your experiences, you've been in a lot of situations where you've had to build, where you've had to help guide and really, from the foundation, have to grow something into whether it be something sustainable or whether it be something where we're trying to get the best out of the players we're working with. But if you had to write a checklist in priority order of how to develop a program, what would be on your list? Really good question. Um, and I think it's, I think when you go into a program, uh, everywhere is different. So, and everyone is at a different stage, and and 
you know, the the expectations can be different in each of the places you're at. So I always look at, you know, the first question I ask is, where are we now and where are we going? So we'll sit there and that's kind of what helps frame, put a framework together for, for building a program. So where are we now and where do we want to go? And then you create that vision from the values that are already in an organization. You know, I think they're established values. So you, so you align those with the vision for the program. And I think before backtracking a little bit, I think the most important thing anywhere you go is going to be hard work. So there's no, you know, step one, step two, step three. It's quite easy. We get we get this done by 10 and we do this by 11. It doesn't work that way. It's going to be hard work and and you've got to put the graft in and, and, and um, you know, you have to make sure you know where you want to go. Where, where's that end? Um, and so, you know, for me, it's making sure you establish a good vision for the program. And it's not, you know, with soccer, yeah, the game model's part of that vision, but you know, the vision has to include what type of environment, what type of culture you're setting. And then the key to it is how, okay, how are you going to do that? Um, how are you going to establish those standard behaviors that you want every single day? And that's both on and off the field. Um, so for me, it's when you first go into a program to be more specific for soccer and something that you grow in, okay, what's the environment you're going to create? So you're into a new club, how many sessions are they training currently a week? Okay, what do, what's your frequency of sessions? What do you want to establish in your environment? Okay, what's the pre-session look like? Well, how do players arrive? How, how do you want players to depart? And you start setting standards and you standardize the simple things. But if I'm an Inter-Miami player, I'm expected to arrive on time. I am expected to be, when I go to the field, I'm expected to stretch. I'm expected to, to maybe have done some... Um, you know, prehab work, whatever you set those standards, and then everybody then has to, you know, that you bring good people in, you know, good people around you, good people as players, good people as staff, and then you make sure everyone follows those sets of standards, and they're very basic. And you know, I think that's how you start to establish a culture, um, and then everybody feels comfortable because they know what to expect. So it's having that vision. You know, making sure the environment is created, um, and then having good people to to keep that that culture established and keep it on a daily basis because it doesn't stop. You know, it, it it's it's you know as soon as you start switching off, then things go go in different directions and not the direction that you want. It's not a positive one. So you want to make sure you ha have the the right people, the people that believe in the same things, share that vision because everyone has a common goal. You may go there in a different way, but you have that vision. This is where we're going. Um, and this is where we want to be. And then you have to stick to that process. You own it as a, as a leader. You own that process. Um, and, and look, over the years, I, I, I'll you know be the first to admit there's things in processes that haven't quite worked, but then you reflect on it, you change it, and you make it better. Um, and having a good culture, good environment um, on a daily basis is then how you can, can grow programs and transition programs and build them. And I think you always look at it, you know, on day one, you know, and I've been fortunate to to have different roles and, um, you know, but on day one, I always look at it. Have you left the place in a, in a better place than when you found it? And um, I like to think in, in every environment I've been in, that's, that's, that's been the case. And it's something I take a lot of pride in. I, just to reflect on your answer, Darren, I, funnily enough, I had a conversation with my dad last week about this around, 
obviously you have all these processes and the things that you put in place. So you've gone through your checklist, but the one thing in there that stood out is you talked about doing it every day. And I think the the big part of it is having a consistency day in, day out around what it is you want to get to and where you want to be. Because if you're not consistent in the message, if you're not consistent in the vision, if you're not consistent with your standards, that today I'm motivated and because I'm motivated, I'm going to make sure the players live up to these standards. That's great. But having the discipline over a period of time is probably the most difficult thing, having that consistency over a long period. No, 100%. And I think, you know, I hear, I get asked the question a lot, you know, how, how, you know, what's the difference from professional college, first team, second team, you know, academy to, to second team, those transitional um, steps. And, and that question is becoming more and more clarity for me personally over the years. And it's just basically consistency in your actions and behaviours. Yes, you have to have talent. Yes, you have to be good. But if you're one minute uh, in one exercise, you're, you're the best player, and the next minute, you know, you're not engaged, you're not going to be ultimately a professional. Now, if you can be consistent in your own actions and behaviours, you will get opportunities, and it's not over two days. It's not over three weeks. It is day in, day out, year in, year out. And then that way, you know, your talent will grow, you will flourish, um, and people know what to expect. And that is the the real difference. When you look at the top players, and, and, and we've got some top players at Inter Miami, you know, and, and, and internationals, they do it every single day. And, you know, they come, they, they make sure they eat the right things, well, eat the right things in the building, but you know they're always eating the right things, and they're always disciplined. They're doing you know work pre-session, post-session, and I and I've seen young players now that transition from second team to first team, and they're observing the the, the first team players, and now they're in the building longer. You know you can't just come in and arrive five minutes before training and then leave ten minutes after. There's there's so much more that goes into this, um, and. Look, you know, to to stay on top of your game, you have to be um, ready every single day, and including your sleep pattern. Everything goes into it, and it's you know, I think you've all heard of everyone trying to find those, you know, that extra one percent. But that's all those these little bits add up. That is your extra one percent. So I think it's important that you see that consistency, and that's really what top players and um, you know elite performers have, and 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 that's the thing I've observed over the years. Well, a word that kept coming up, Darren, is, is standards. If we're accepting of mediocrity, then, of course, we get what we focus in on. And high standards, you know, there's a saying, I don't know, it came from Alex Ferguson or not, but it's certainly something that I think is important, is the standard you set to the standard you get. Unless we as coaches set good high standards and live them, consistently which again is a word that comes out then of course we're going to lose we're going to lose the edge now as a coach you will inspire the coaches you'll inspire staff you'll inspire players but who inspires you great question i mean for me you know my inspiration is my family um i commit to the craft i commit to work but Ultimately, I'm inspired by my family. You know, I've been married to my wife for over 25 years. 
you know, is my best friend as well as my wife. And then, you know, my two children, my daughter's currently playing in England, um, you know, living her dream and, and just to see her passion with football and how much she commits and how, how dedicated she is to it is, is inspiring to me. And then my son, the same, he's at UNC Wilmington and loves the game and just wants to give his best every day. And, and, and for me, that's inspiring. And then growing up, my, you know, my mum and dad, my dad just is always a resource there. Um, and my granddad as well, just my first job was a paper boy and just, he, he ran the, he ran the business and we'd have a cup of coffee and a piece of cake and, uh, you know, he tell me different stories, and, and and so they inspire me. You know, I think I think uh, it's family most importantly, and and they're always there for you. So we always got each other's back. Obviously, work. You know, you, you, you're accountable. I mean, Phil Neville's been been an amazing uh, source of information, and um, you know, been been very helpful over the last couple of years of being able to work together. And then obviously, you know, I'm working for for Inter Miami, and it's a it's a wonderful organization. I know when we spoke initially, that part came up for you, Darren, about your family and the importance of them and how much they do for you in those moments. Obviously, you talked about them being an inspiration for you. Um, and and obviously, for for my dad and I, there was um, we resonate with it, of course, which is why we do the podcast together. And I, I can share, obviously, being away from family, being away, you move away from home and 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 now obviously your your daughter especially has taken the opposite route that you have. She's now she's now back in England playing, so she's gone opposite to you. Just moving from into a, a footballing question now. So you talked about the IDPs, the individual player development stuff that you do. You're also involved in getting results. You're in first team football. You have to win. How do you balance the need for that individual player development? with the team goals and objectives? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, and I think it, it 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 varies from whatever level you're working at. I mean, at, at first team level, the, the IDPs are more obviously sharpness for the for the players that are playing in, in the 11 at the weekend and then more for development for the younger players on the roster um, to make sure that they're keeping up to speed and, and when their opportunity to play is there, they're ready to do it. So it, and it's more specific. And when when we talk about IDPs, for me, it's just player, you know, positional awareness. Um, you know what the what the technical aspects, the tactical aspects of the the position are. It's not necessarily one v one on one training. You know, you can you can develop IDPs and individual um, plans for your centre back, your right back, and your centre forward, or it can be you, you pick the positions. You know, the idea is to make each of them relevant to their position within within a training session. That you know, maybe at the end of the 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 main session, and um, they're doing a little bit of extras. I think you know, growing up we called it extras. You know, and, and now that you know the the nice term is is individual development plan. But also into those, I think that's the on field version. But there's also, you know, I believe always in in coaching the person. So there has to be a holistic view to that. So with any of the even the first team players, you know, what's your what's your personal goal for the year? What what what's going to strike you personally when when we talk to and mainly the ones on the first team are, are younger players. But what you're going to do, you know, 
you know, are you going to, how are you going to improve? Are you doing school? Are you reading books? Are you looking at financial planning? Whatever it is, what do you want to achieve? So there's part of that. And so that's a, a check-in point for us as well. And it, within those IDPs, at this level, we also have physical components. We have strength coaches and a, a high-performance staff that is, is very good. Um, so they can set those programs for them. So they, we put that holistic approach to it. So it's not only on the field. It's not only the video room. It's also, you know, the physical components. And then, you know, what are your personal goals? And and, and you get to know the player that way. Um, and I think that's that's invaluable uh, as you go through through the years. So at each level, it's a little bit different. At the academy, you know, it, it can be a little bit maybe not as position specific it can be more you know improving soccer skills and, and and so on and so forth so i think it just depends um but idps are very important but i think the most important piece of that as well is getting to know the person getting to know the player um so you can have those connections with them so you so you can have have conversations and inspire um the players from their own backgrounds and and, and what they want to achieve so it, it links nicely to a question that i have for you what intangible qualities do you look for in your players yeah no i think i think that that question for me is something you know we can define over the years and 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 from the experiences but for me it's very important you know whenever you look at players they have to play with intensity and same with the training environment we want intensity in the training environment it has to be related to the game so for me looking at intensity and what does intensity mean somebody that's willing to be focused and listening intently as well as playing intently. So intensity is important. You want that player to be competitive. You know, there's a lot of discussion all the time about development and winning. And that's from a, for me, that's from a 10,000 foot view where, you know, as adults and coaches, we look at the development. The young player has to be competitive. It's not, it's not easy to to grow into being a professional footballer, as, as you both know. It, so you want that environment competitive. So even within the training environment, exercises, keeping score and, and um, making sure that the players are competing to win, you know, because ultimately when you get to the first team, it is results driven. Now, as adults, we, you know, we, we take the 10,000 foot view and, and, and make sure we're helping with that development. But creating a competitive environment will do that as well. And then something that done for many years um, is, is making sure there's always second actions. So, for example, you know, you, you, you're playing a game um, and, you know, you see a lot of games within coaching where, you know, you want to see players have a second action. But if you're just doing an attacking exercise and the ball stops after the attacking team fails, um, for me, that's not not real. So, you know, that attacking team then has to counter press and, and and maybe retrieve the ball. And the defending team needs to be rewarded for winning it. So, what is their goal? Can they go in the opposite direction? So, always two actions. So, players that have that, uh, you know, naturally, that's what you you gravitate to. And then I think that the special special piece of each player, what is what is that player's X factor? What do they have that is different that stands out, or is a talent that can be nurtured? Um, to be to 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 really help them go to the next level. So you know what is their X factor? But intensity, competitiveness, second action, and then what special quality do they have? Whether that's a physical component, whether that's a a technical component, you know what is that special quality that can maybe elevate that player to the next level? On the back of that, are you more of a performance or result driven coach? Great question. You know, I'm probably 
it, it, you know, when you look at that, it, it, it's probably at this point in time is, you know, you want to have good performances, but we are results driven at the first team level. Um, when I'm at the academy, it's definitely performance driven, you know, but you want to see that team as competitive as possible. How do you keep up then? How do you keep up to date with the latest development trends in player development? And how do you incorporate those new approaches into your sessions? You know, 20 years ago when I first started, it was, I remember going to visit uh, Arsenal. My father got me into to go and visit Arsenal and um, actually Don Howe was coaching and, um, and Arns Wenger. So, it, you know, got to watch them behind the scenes. And the exercises that, that the coaches were doing were no different, but it was the information and the detail and the gold nuggets um, were there. So, you know, that was 20 years ago. Now you can go on YouTube or, you know, Instagram, and there's so many different exercises. And I think what you have to bear in mind, because you can actually get so much access to so much information now, um, but it, it's diluting that information and making it relevant to your environment. And then obviously, you know, the knowledge, how you apply that, the application of that is important. So I think the resources now are amazing. You get to to a lot. So to look at different trends, you're you're always looking. We had a fitness coach with MLS2 last year and every day he he, he was looking at what Barcelona were doing and sharing it with the group and how they were doing warm-up. So the accessibility now is fantastic. Um, So, yeah, that's one way. I read. I've I've done different coaching licenses over the years. I, I I've done all my badges in in um in the states from the uh, you know completed my pro license in, in in the United States, and then you know currently driving forward and challenging myself. I'm doing a um sporting director's degree um with the Global Institute of Sport, and it's affiliated with the University of East London. So that's been a master's degree. Um, so just to just to challenge myself there and, and look at trends not only on the field but um, off the field as well. And then for me, every time you coach and, and I've coached through all the age groups, I think you always make it age appropriate. So you know, for 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 the twelves, it's probably the Disney Channel and and uh, you know following there. And then with the first team players, it's a it's a little different rating. But you know, I think that growth, the game is the same. Um, you you want in the same responses um, from players, and I think the most important thing is making sure it's relevant to to the team that you're coaching. With that being the case, obviously you've just mentioned about working across all different ages. I think the reality is obviously now success with the first team looks different than what it may do. Well, it does look different than what it does at under 11s and under 12s, um, and obviously being able to relate messages and the way that you approach things. Um, specific to those age groups is important, but how do you measure progress and success in player development? And then what metrics do you use to track improvement? Yeah, I think, you know, in a professional club, it's it's making sure the players are ready when they make the jump, that transitional phase. Um, and ready covers a, a lot, whether it's, you know, on the field technically and tactically, the physical component, the emotional component, you know, when you transition from from an academy to maybe MLS two or U thirteen to U fourteen, it's making sure that these players are ready for what lies ahead um, and what's next. So, you know, the success of that 
is hard to probably quantify because every person is different. But as as um, an academy or as a staff, it's how many players get to that point where they're ready to make the jump. And so now that you know, how many players can we get through from you know the academy to MLS two and then MLS two to to the first team? And with those, with those, that's kind of how you can kind of you know you track it and and, and judge that. Um, but it's also helping players be ready for what's next in their life. So, you know, our U19s, for example, some will not be have the opportunity to go through to the um, and be successful at MLS too. But now that next step for them is college. So they can go into the college system. So are they prepared to be a good college player? You know, we put, we, we put them on the pro pathway and then ultimately they're not quite ready. So can they go in the pro pathway? Do they love the game? You know, whenever I speak to first year parents coming into an academy you know the one thing you know you have is an opportunity and you're going to get an experience the one thing we want when you leave the door is you still love football and you could leave the, leave the the club and, and and not progress to u13s but you love football and you want to continue trying and and, and who knows at u16 you continue you may come back through the door so they're the, they're the sort of lessons i think are, are very important you know and i think to see players progress and, and and help them, it's not only you know on the field behavior. It's helping them emotionally, helping them off the field, helping them um, prepare. Because you know all of a sudden a, a 16, 17 year old could be thrust into receiving a, a bigger salary than they had before. Are they able to manage that? Do they have the the the, the family support? Very important. We look at the the whole package of, of players because you know everyone's quick. We're all quick to judge that the performance isn't quite good enough and they didn't play well. But what's the why of that? Um, so I think the most important thing within this framework is to make sure players are ready for the next level, whether that's a U twelve going to U thirteen or whether that's an MLS two player, young MLS two player being promoted to the first team. We coaches tend to spend lots of time with the ball, so working on the technical, trying to help. Uh, refine the technical skills and then obviously as a, a sidebar to that due to the actual technical work depending on the intensity of it they're going to get some physical uh, returns so the technical and the physical returns are there but how do you help players navigate uh, the mental and emotional challenges of professional football and what strategies do you use to support their overall well-being yeah, I think this, you know, I think this is becoming more and more apparent um, in, in modern football, and I think, you know, this is this is a a part where it becomes where you know you, there's an opportunity for experts now to continue to help with, with players within academy structures um, across the board. You know, how do I personally help? I think you know you do it from a very empathetic um, coach's view. You try and help each player and and see where they're coming from by getting to know them. And uh, again, getting to know that person and, and what makes that player tick. You know, the, I think understanding that it, it can be helpful and, and guiding them emotionally based on your experiences or other players or other players that have been in the same situation that you've observed. Uh, that's the way you can help that individual. But I do feel it's a field that is certainly growing within our sport and um, it's becoming more and more apparent and it's, very helpful um, when you have experts on hand that, that certainly help players transition and uh, um, from one level to the next. But as coaches, you know, sometimes those resources are not available to you. So it's uh, for me being very uh, empathetic as a leader and, and helping players adjust and, and understanding exactly that player's thought process. 
Well, you talked about challenges that players face, and obviously there's a lot of challenges that they face throughout the journey. From your standpoint, what are some of the challenges that you face when working in high-performing environments? That's a really good question. You've got some good questions today. Um, you're in a result business, um, ultimately. When you're at the first team level, as I've experienced at Inter-Miami and, and San Antonio, it's results business. The, the biggest challenge there is, uh, especially as a lead or, or somebody that's technical director slash head coach, is making sure everyone keeps an even keel. You know, the highs are not too high and the lows are not too low. And I think in my earlier years, you know, I probably wasn't good at that, but you you, you grow and, and understand that. Because at the end of the day, you win or lose a game, you're still the same person. You know, you know and are true to yourself. You can keep navigating and keep moving forward. And I think that challenge is often as, as a coach, you're always looking back at the previous performance. And sometimes you lose sight because of that, uh, whether positive or negative, preparing for the next performance. And I think once uh, that you know you can't go back and change, you know the results. So keeping that emotional control and going, okay, let's focus on the next game is the most important thing. When you uh, when you get to that point, you're going to have to let me know how you how you've done it because I'm still trying to work that one out. I'm still. Maybe when I grow up, I'll let you know. Well, I've 42 years of this, married <laughs> to 35 years, and I'm still trying to assess that one out. So you find the answer be prior to me. Just let's keep ourselves in the loop. I'll have to do a podcast on it. Bring the wives on. <laughs> For sure. Just changing tack slightly. More around the process now. So we've gone a little bit around, if you like, the emotional side of the game, football, coaching. What role do you see technology playing in the future of coaching and how do you currently incorporate technology into your coaching practice? Yeah, I think players learn different ways. You know, so I think the video, when I first started coaching, we were trying to copy VHS tapes to the other to to put some clips together. Now the, the technology is so good. And we have, you know, Alex Scott, who, who previously worked at the FA, works here. He can enhance graphics that make it really easy to follow and understand. So I think technology, um, that's at the professional level. So as that that filters down, um, we have some really good talented academy coaches that, that use video, which I think is a powerful tool. As that continues to grow, it's not necessarily classroom video. I think it now starts to become, you know, clips and interaction via iPhones and, and messages as it continues to to teach and it can be a powerful tool because everyone wants to see it straight away and, and understand it straight away. So I think we incorporate a lot of video, all our games and practices of video from, um, you know, the first team uh, MLS two every practice, every game. So that can be analyzed and, um, you know, can be shared with the players. And then obviously in the Academy, every game's now, now recorded. And I think, you know, that access, to those videos for those players. And I think as the future goes, the players are so well in tuned and, uh, and, you know, are now watching their games intently and looking at their clips. I, I think that trend is massive and I think that will continue to enhance and, um, you know, be even more accessible for, for the masses, if you like, in terms of 
as you were 11 games now, uh, you know, I was talking to one of our coaches last week and he said, yeah, you get the whole package with you 11s, you get the videos and, and, and the games. So it's a really important tool coaches can use and also for players to use and, and, and be self-sufficient with, with that technology as well. So I think that's some, probably the main one at this point. And um, I think that will continue to grow that, that visual feedback and instant visual feedback. You see a lot of the, um, I call them coaching boards in, in Germany where they have the big screen TVs and the coaches are interacting on the iPads. Those trends or you know, they, they, they'll end up coming down to the masses in soccer as, as time goes by. And they're, they're really, really impressive teaching tools. And Darren, final question for you. What is your greatest curiosity in football and in high performing environments? Greatest curiosity. I think what I enjoy and, and and I'm always curious is is how um, individuals get to the top. How does Harry Kane become England's top goal scorer? You know, I think that that's the curiosity. What's his journey? What's his pathway? Um, and then there's really anything along that way. What are the commonalities that um, you can use that can probably work work for you know all teams and all ages? So I guess that curiosity is is you know. It's it's hard to sometimes get access to elite performers. You know, you know, I work on a, a staff here where all the super successful players, either within the MLS or, you know, within the Premier League and and England international with, with coach Phil Neville. How do they get to the top? What what's important? And um, that's the curiosity. Um, and how can that player do it, and, and the next player can't do it? What are the, what are those differences? What does that elite level? look like and how did, how did it happen for you your background all those things i think are the curiosity and then the commonality that you often find and, and i've been fortunate to work with some top top people and top performers over the years is is that consistency like we spoke about earlier in the show um consistent actions and behaviors you know i think uh, are really important to those elite performers but i'm always curious what the journey is how do you get there you know it's something that motivates me as a, as a, as a coach uh, to, to, to help players uh, share the experiences you have to help the next person. And, and you take an awful lot of pride in, in watching players that you've coached go on and be successful. And you know, just recently here into Miami, we had a player that was from MLS two. He lives in Fort Lauderdale and he got, he scored a goal within eight minutes of his debut. And, 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 and they're the things that, you know, just keep you motivated to help players and who, who can be the next one and can you be more consistent? Can you go on and, and be a top striker in this league? Darren, thank you ever so much. You've shared some great insights that I'm sure will be of, they're invaluable for those listeners that are actually followers. So thank you on behalf of David and myself. Good luck in the future and hopefully we'll connect soon. No, thank you. It's been an absolute pleasure and, um, you know, keep up the good work. I, 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 I brought the book and I'm reading your book as well and uh, really enjoying it. So absolute pleasure and uh, getting to know you both in, in this process has been fantastic too. So thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning into the Golders podcast today. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't already subscribed, please do so. Your continued support is highly appreciated and it means so much to us knowing that the content that's being produced is providing value in people's lives. If you would like to know more or get more information from us, you can follow us on Twitter at Gold Dust 
podcast. And also, you can visit our website at thegolddustcoach.com. Thank you, everybody.